And an angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you, and I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies, and in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed, because you have obeyed my voice. Well, church, I want to let you know that I, I feel very anxious um, this morning about preaching. I usually don't feel anxious, and I feel it because this morning as I was reviewing this sermon and just trying to fine-tune it, I feel like I wasn't getting the main point of the text, which is kind of important. So I rewrote the whole sermon, and I literally like walked in at 1030-something. So I'm not sure how clear it is, but one thing for you to know, so this is a teaching opportunity, one, for me to ask for prayers because I'm anxious, not sure how this is going to turn out, but I trust that God's word will do what he wants it to do. But second is because at our church, we are committing to let the scripture tell us the main point and heart of each passage instead of finding a point that we like and we are trying to find passages to prove it. That difference is stark and very important. And I grew up in churches that had a steady diet of the pastor figuring out where he wants to go and then going through the Bible trying to find a passage that proved his points. And that's called proof texting, and that's dangerous as a steady diet. And so my hope this morning is that I was faithful with God's word because I was going one direction and I was reading this morning I was like, I don't think that's the main point. It's, the tr- it's a true the truth, but it was the wrong address. And so I'm trying to focus on what this text has for us. And here's the main point that we're going to ultimately, is that when God is your great reward, then he will bless the world through you. When God is your great reward, then he will bless the world through you. Now, last week, we got to the pinnacle of Abraham's journey of discipleship as he's been walking with God. Pastor Daniel preached on this climactic test in Genesis chapter 22, and it was one of my favorite sermons I've ever heard Pastor Daniel preach. Wasn't it great? Yeah. If you missed it, go back and listen. It is so worthwhile, and I'm not going to try to re-preach little points to it. But what we see here is that for 25 to 30 something years or so, they've been waiting for a promise. Finally, the promise comes, and God's like, give me back that promise. And the test was not to shame or not to do anything um, malicious. And, and Pastor Daniel walked through a teaching on testing throughout the Bible. It was actually uh, for good. Our, our Heavenly Father, when he tests us, he has good motivations behind it. Not like the devil. The devil, when he tests us, he's trying to shame us. He's trying to hurt us, harm us. But God's heavenly heart, his fatherly intention in any test is actually to ultimately bless us and grow us. And Pastor Daniel talked about that. And so Abraham passes this test as God asks him to give him at the very core of his heart, the most precious treasure of his heart, and that is his beloved, his one and only son. Now what we see this week is that after that test, God provides for him this ram, 
He sacrificed it. It's a substitute instead of his son. This is just beautiful picture of substitution that we ultimately see in Jesus. And then the angel of the Lord, the angel of Yahweh, comes back and speaks to Abraham and kind of summarizes and now builds upon what just happened. Okay? Are you guys tracking with me the context? Okay, so let's see what's going on in verse 15. The angel of Yahweh called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said... By myself I have sworn, declares Yahweh, because you have done this and not withheld your son, your only son. Verse 17, I will surely bless you and I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies. Now we're going to go through a lot of those promises more in detail, but right now we're going to focus on verse 16. God is about to bless Abraham, but before he does, he says this, by myself I have sworn, or I swear by myself. This is the only time in Genesis that God swears by himself. This is tremendously strong language. Typically, when you swear, if you do, and you want people to take seriously, you swear by not yourself, but by someone else, right? People don't believe you. Like maybe you were a kid and this happened and someone doesn't believe something you say and you say, I swear by my grandmother's grave. Anyone ever do that? Right? And everyone's like, oh dang, his grandmother's grave. So he is telling the truth. Right? That's a big deal. Right? Because he loved his meemaw. Right? So if he's going to go to that extent, you better take him at his word because he's swearing by his grandmother's grave or you name the person or the thing that raises the stakes and shows that you can take seriously that swear. And so whenever you swear, you typically, to add weight, you swear by a higher authority, a greater authority. Now here's the question. Who can God swear by? Because he is the greatest authority. There is no one higher than God, so how can he swear by his grandmother's grave? He doesn't have a grandmother. And so the only one that God is left to swear by is himself. The author of Hebrews says this very thing and helps us understand how sure and weighty God's oath is. Let's look at Hebrews 6. If you have a Bible, we're going to read it. A handful of verses. It's going to be long, but it's worth it because there's a lot here that will help us understand our passage. And the author of Hebrews is unpacking our passage here. So Hebrews chapter 6, 13 through 18. I'm using the New Living Translation here. You guys have no chance of reading that, but for those of you guys who can, good for you. Verse 13, if you're there. For example, there was God's promise to Abraham. Since there was no one greater to swear by, God took an oath in his own name saying, I will certainly bless you and I will multiply your descendants beyond number. Then Abraham waited patiently and he received what God had promised. Now, when people take an oath, they call on someone greater than themselves to hold them to it and without Without any question, that oath is binding. God also bound himself with an oath so that those who received the promise could be 
perfectly sure that he would never change his mind. So God has given both his promise and his oath. These two things are unchangeable. Why? Because it is impossible for God to lie. Therefore, we who have fled to him for refuge can have great confidence as we hold to the hope that lies before us. Amen? That is so sweet. God swears by himself as the ultimate authority and clarifies that he never lies, nor does he change. So if he doesn't lie and he can't change, then you can take every promise to the bank. It's one thing to say, I'm truthful and never lie. And there's another thing to say, but I do change all the time. That's not strong foundation to stand by. Or maybe they never change, but they're full of lies. You need both realities. Never changing, never lying, comes together. That's a promise you can bank your life on. And God is swearing by himself, and so Abraham can take him at his word. God, if you say that, then I know it's going to happen. If you say that, I can take confidence and rest in your promises. And this is important for Abraham because what God is about to promise, though for us it may be overly familiar and we're desensitized to it, it's absolutely bonkers. Abraham, I'm going to take you and your family line and through your family line, I'm going to bless the entire nation and redeem this cursed, cursed world. That's a big deal. That's no small thing. It's not like, Abraham, through you, I'm going to give you guys some good stuff. Cool, thanks. No, I'm going to choose your family line to reverse all the ills of this world. <laughs> You're going to save the world, your family line. That's a big deal. And so, such a great promise requires such great faith to believe in. And if you have any hope to believe in that promise, you have to have a real big confidence in the one who's giving that promise. Now, we're going to spend more time thinking about Abraham's sacrifice and what that entails for his own heart and his relationship with God at the end of the sermon. But I want to press into one important tension because some of us, and many, us, many Christians in the West have under, misunderstood a principle in this passage that can, can lead us into distorting the way we relate with God and what we can expect from God. Let, let's look at bit, verse 16 again. If you have your Bible, look at verse 16 on the screen also. And said, by myself I have sworn, we just talked about that, declares Yahweh, because you have done this, if not withheld your son, your only son. So as you know, God is about to follow up this with a ton of blessings and promises for Abraham. But he says, I am giving you these blessings and these promises because you have done this. This great act of obedience, this great sacrifice. And now look at verse 18. Skim, skim down real quick. Verse 18 in chapter 22. And in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. We'll, we'll talk about that in a minute. Because you have obeyed my voice. So you have two of these Realities, verse 16, verse 18. Verse 16, because you have done this, this great sacrifice, this obedience. And verse 18, I forgot it. Go back, go back. Because you have obeyed my voice. <laughs> I gotta stay close to here. How do we bring this together? Because you have obeyed my voice and because you have done this, therefore I'm gonna bless you. Because some of us, this may come across as a little strange. If you think about it, God is going to bless Abraham even more than he has already have, already have, has, because Abraham obeyed and listened to God's voice. 
Many of us have been so conditioned that grace is free. Salvation is not something we earn. And to be clear, yes and amen. Salvation is a gift by faith. It's not something we earn. And we already see in Genesis chapter 15 that as God walks through the, and performs a covenant ceremony while Abraham's taking a nap, that God is guaranteeing by grace he's going to make sure it goes, comes to pass and that he will pay for every one of Abraham's failures. Our faith is built on a rock-solid foundation of faith alone, right? By grace. And yet, as children of the Protestant Reformation, we have been so conditioned to think against salvation by works that we forget that there is indeed a direct connection between obedience and blessing. Let me say that again. There is a direct connection between obedience and blessing. Do you know that? Did you know that? Because sometimes we're afraid to say that. Because we're afraid that the moment we make any ties towards blessing and obedience, that we are now falling into uh, salvation by works. Don't misunderstand. So much of our blessing in our life is just grace. And any obedience that we can muster is actually by grace alone. God empowers us to live this out. So it's all by grace. But there is still a connection. There is more to the blessing and more layers that we're going to get to in a minute. Let me, let me see if I can make sense of this. Because I, I, I know that I'm opening up something and I, I need to tie it well. What's going on here with Abraham? What we see in these blessings and promises for Abraham is that though they are for Abraham, they are primarily through Abraham or designed to go through Abraham. Though Abraham will be blessed. This blessing is primarily through Abraham. And the reason why that's important for me to explain, and I'm going to unpack it a little bit more, is because I want to avoid the mindset that, I, that, that I'm trying to teach you right now that we obey so that God will bless us. That's not what I'm saying. Read the book of Job. God, Job walks faithfully, and yet his life goes through tremendous suffering and trial. Not because he obeyed, but because he obeyed, and God was using his life to set an example and, and all that kind of stuff that you can get into the book of Job for. But what I'm saying is, the, the primary purpose between God, Abraham's obedience to God is that God now wants to now bless through him, so he's a channel of blessing to all peoples. Remember, we talked about this in Genesis chapter 12. Abraham is blessed to what? Be a blessing. Yes, Abraham's line will be blessed, and that is one of the greatest joys of being a parent or grandparent, your family being blessed. That is a great gift and blessing. But it's ultimately not this. Abraham obeys God. Now God does something great to Abraham. God owes Abraham. God blesses him. But rather, Abraham obeys, and now God will do even greater things through Abraham to bless the nations. It's ultimately not about Abraham. The blessing is not ultimately about landing in his family to stay in his family, but God's purpose, his great plan on how he's going to reverse the curse in the world and bring redemption and healing and hope to the nations. So this is no prosperity gospel I'm trying to teach right now. Obey God so he'll bless you, but rather obey God so he can now bless through you. Please hear me. Obey God so now he can bless through you like never before. 
Abraham's obedience is directly connected to the greater promise over all the nations being blessed. So now let's consider that for a minute for us. Let me try to apply that to our context now because this is actually true of us as well. Listen, when we disobey God, we disobey his voice, we are limiting in some way the blessing that God wants to do through us to others. So that starts most centrally in your home, then moves out to your you know, church, your neighborhood, the cities, and the world. When we are disobeying God, we are actually limiting the blessing that these people have access to. Instead of a spring that kind of flows through us, it stops. And they are not given the blessing that they could have. We must mature beyond merely thinking that obedience is about obeying so our life will be blessed. Don't sin because it brings death, which is true. But if you want to mature beyond just thinking self-servingly, hey, I should stop looking at this or stop doing that because it hurts my life, but rather it actually hurts others around you. Isn't that what we think often with sin? Is Well, as long as it doesn't hurt anyone, it's okay. That's actually the world's mindset. Hey, mind your own business. Don't judge anyone. Don't do any, as long as you don't hurt anyone. But what we actually learn throughout the whole Bible is that when we disobey God and we're not walking and following him, we're actually harming and hurting others by robbing them of the blessing that God wants to do and give them through you and through me. So church, when my heart is calloused and I'm neglecting time, quality time with him, and I am walking in passivity or different sins in my life, that actually hurts you. Because when I'm walking in the light and walking with God, that actually means that God will more greatly flow through me and bless you. That's a great responsibility as one of your pastors. And that's a great responsibility for you. Every single one of us here has spheres of influence that God wants to bless through you. And when we are walking in the light and walking with God and obeying his voice, then his power can flow through us and we can see blessing to all. That's my hope is that we would live lives of obedience, that we hang on every word of his mouth and then blessing would flow through us and our communities will flourish. I want to just say that to the singles here. I think so easily we talk a lot about families, and rightfully so. But singles, we can easily have this mindset, well, you know, no one's dependent on me. I don't have dependents. I don't have kids or a wife or a husband. But when you are walking and obeying and listening, then God is so pleased to channel you as an instrument of blessing to bless this entire church and in in, in the cities and beyond that, the world. That's the point. It's not about Abraham, ultimately. It's about Abraham through Abraham to the whole world. And that's us, too. And we'll get back to that. See, and this is where me writing this this morning is going to get confusing because I'm going to loop back around and I'm not sure if I'm tying this together. So you can let me know if I'm successful at that later. Now, let's look at more of the blessings and promises here. Back to verse 17. There are layers to it. And the promises are both physical and temporal. They're going to happen soon and then in generations after. But ultimately, the, the blessings move on to eternal realities and spiritual realities. So look at verse 17. God says, I will surely bless you and I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies. 
This culminating promise, this is the last time that God is going to give this promise to Abraham. You remember he's been doing it throughout his life in key moments. Chapter 12, 15, 17, it just keeps going on. This is the final one, and this is the most thorough, expansive one. He takes all the blessings and promises from before, and then he takes them up another level. Look at this language here about stars of the heaven. We heard that before, remember? He says, look, Abraham, outside, the stars of heaven. But what does he do? He doesn't just talk about the stars of the heaven, which are very, very hard to count, impossible to count. He then talks about sand, that your descendants are going to be multiplied to where it is more than the sand on the seashore. And any of you guys have gone to a beach lately or one of our fake beaches in, in, in uh, Minnesota, the lakes. And if you just take a handful of sand and just hold it in your hand and, and you literally try to count every grain of sand, you will never reach the end. You won't. Just a handful. Just a handful of sand in your hand and you will not reach the end of counting it. And yet... God is saying that about Abraham's descendants, that their, his line is going to be blessed and multiplied so much to where you're not going to be able to count all of them. It's going to be like all the sand on all the seashores. That is insane. And remember, that is why Abraham has to really believe and have faith in this. I mean, God is saying bonkers stuff, stuff that is hard. The mind just boggles trying to comprehend what God is saying. And then he says something new that none of the other passages and promises have said thus far. And your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies. There's so much here. This is a new addition. And we've already seen this in part in Abraham's life as he has this miraculous victory against these five kings. And, but what we will see if we follow through the rest of the story of the Bible is that this possession of this gate is, yes, physical in part in, Abraham, in, in, in Israel's history, but more importantly and more ultimately, it's spiritual. What do I mean by that? Genesis makes clear that the great enemy of humanity is not ultimately an evil king or dictator, though they are led by great evils and harms, and those are a big deal. But the great power behind all evil kings, Satan and sin, and ultimately, this promise here that Abraham is given is a foreshadow of the final victory against Satan and his kingdom. We're going to talk about that more, but we see a picture of that in, in the Gospel of Matthew. Now, let's look at this word offspring. Look at verse 18 again. In your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because you obeyed my voice. This promise is very similar to the promises in chapter 12 and 15 and 17, but it's a little different because he's using a different word that he hasn't used before. What's that word right here? It starts with the O. Can you say it out loud? Offspring. Offspring. All right. Offspring. It's okay. It's okay. It's, it's good to obey. I love it. I love it. Good. I wasn't even here. It doesn't count. I love it. I love you, brother. Um, in this immediate context, at minimum, it does refer to Isaac, his offspring, his direct offspring, and also Isaac's sons and, and so forth. But as we follow his history, it means something much more. 
And this is the problem that we see. If you study the rest of the Old Testament especially, you see that Abraham's offspring ultimately never fulfilled this promise like they ought to. See, what was this blessing? I haven't defined that yet because I've used this word blessing, and in your mind, you hear blessing, and it may mean you get a car, you get a car, you get a car, right? What does blessing mean according to Genesis? Well, it could mean a car, and it could mean new, a, a baby that you finally have after praying for, after a season of barrenness. It could mean health. It could mean all those things, but the Bible ultimately means something much more. So this brings us back to why we're here and why we're about to celebrate Christmas and everything, and that's that in the very beginning, God created the world and it was good, and there was harmony, and yes, there was harmony in our bodies, there was no cancer, there was no death, there was sickness, but the greatest harmony that we had, the greatest blessing is that we had direct access to God. There was no separation between heaven and and earth. It was just right there, and God was walking among us. He was visible. We had our intimate relationship with God, and then when the fall happened, we were, that was severed from us, and we no longer had the benefit of intimacy with him, and when you don't have intimacy with the one you were created with, everything else comes, right? So that's when cancer and death and sin and all that comes. It's subsequent to losing that relationship. The relationship is central, you were made for communion. Everything falls apart when you lose the communion with God. That, that order is important. It's not like just, oh, yeah, yeah, and we lose relationship with God. But yeah, yeah, death and cancer. No, no, no. That's the central thing. And when you lose the central thing, everything else falls apart. Right? And so what is this blessing that Abraham's line is supposed to bring to the world? Well, ultimately, they were supposed to walk and obey and listen to, Abra- to God's voice in such a way that the way they lived and loved each other and loved the na- their neighbors and the nations demonstrated a picture of what things ought to be like. Israel is supposed to set, be set apart among the nations and live in a distinct way, not just to be different, but to show what God is like and the kingdom is like and what it is like when Yahweh is properly reigning on the hearts of man. And when they loved each other and lived, lived in harmony and did all the, the, the things that God has called them, the world could look on and say, oh, so that's what it's supposed to be like. So that's what the world's supposed to be like. That's how we're supposed to treat each other. And as you follow through the line and the story, God's people repeatedly forget who they are. They forget their place in the story. They forget who they belong to. They forget God's word, they ignore his voice and they harden their heart and they get selfish. And what happens? They distort God's picture of what he's like to the world. And so that was the ultimate blessing they were supposed to give. They were supposed to give God to the world. They were supposed to be a people, a kingdom of priests. What does is, what is a priest do? We've said this over and over again. We're going to keep hammering this. A priest is supposed to represent God to the world and the world to God. And Israel gave up and failed in their purpose of representing God to the world. And so the world was no longer blessed as they ought to be through them. But there is one descendant of Abraham that fulfills these promises perfectly and perfectly represents God. Would you turn to Galatians chapter 3? Real quick, Galatians 3, 16. This is very important. The Apostle Paul uses this passage and expands on it and teaches more. I'm asking you to flip to it because it's just important for you to know your Bible. And this is such a central text to connect these uh, passages together. Galatians chapter 3, verse 16. Now the promises were made to 
Abraham and to his offspring. It does not say and to offsprings with an S, referring to many, but referring to one. And to your offspring who is Christ. Ultimately, this promise to Abraham was not about Isaac or his kids or his kids of kids, but ultimately that from his line will come the Christ, the Savior, the Messiah. He would be the offspring. Genesis is very specifically and strategically not saying springs with S, but offspring, because it's a little hint pointing to the future reality that it'll be culminated not in a bunch of people, but in one person. Christ would be the greatest gift, blessing, and solution to bring healing and redemption to all the peoples of all the world. But here's the, the cool thing for us. It doesn't just stop at Christ. Look at verse 29. The, 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 the blessing continues. Look at verse 29. It progresses here. And if you are Christ... Which in Galatians says, those who follow Jesus who believe in the gospel, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. So, what does that mean? If you in this room, right here, in this room, or anyone listening, like my mom and dad, are following Christ, are you in Christ, you are part of Abraham's line. You are Abraham's offspring. Father Abraham is yours because of what Jesus has done. You are heirs according to that promise. So you remember earlier, I said how insane this promise is and how it takes just great faith to believe it because it's absolutely absurd and bonkers. You guys remember me saying that? The reason why it's so important for you to get that it's so absurd for Abraham is that because it's so absurd for you too. You are recipients of that same blessing and that promise and that purpose and that mission. Not just Abraham, that we get to watch passively from afar and study. Oh yeah, Abraham, that was for No, that's for you and for me. God has set you apart to be an heir of this line. Why do you exist? You exist to be part of perpetuating this promise and this blessing to the world. That was Abraham's mission and that was Jesus's mission and by connection that is now your mission. And my mission this is how Abraham's line becomes, becomes as numerous as a sand because as you look at the Jews, they're not that big of a people group, right? But it's all people in all time and all places who call upon the name of the Lord Jesus are now included into the promise and you and I are part of those, that number. That's good news. And so we have now received this greatest Blessing, and he says, heirs, according to the promise, we are heirs. What are we ultimate heirs of? We're heirs of Christ. We have Christ. And now, our call is now to share Christ with all peoples. That's your calling. That is not optional. That is not something the super elite Christians do or the mature Christians. That is fundamental to who you are. If you call yourself a Christian, is that your purpose, one of your primary purpose, God set you apart to share Christ, the greatest blessing to the world. But how can we be a blessing like that? I mean, that's huge. Like, that is overwhelming. How can we be such a blessing? Well, we, we have learned that we have to, first of all, obey God's voice, but there is something more foundational that is built upon all of our obedience. 
Let's go back to thinking about Abraham's willingness to sacrifice his son. Why is it that this is the final promise and Abraham is now ready to receive this, the full expansion of all these blessings? Why? Why now? What just happened? Well, you guys know the answer. Because after 30 or so years of walking with God intimately, Abraham has steadily grown to the point where he truly fears God alone. He loves God for God himself. He's not fearful anymore of the Egyptians or Abimelech or the voice of his wife. No, Abraham has found God as his great reward, his great purpose. This was promised in Genesis chapter 15, you, I will be a shield in your very great reward. And that was true for Abraham then, but he's growing and maturing into that truth. You know what I'm saying? You can know a truth and believe a truth, but you can still mature further into a truth. And we've seen this truth come to maturation in Abraham's life. God is truly his great treasure. Because what, what, what do we see? With Abraham being willing to give up his son Isaac, God knows that if he can have Isaac, he can have everything. If God can ask for Isaac and Abraham says, yes, you can have Isaac, then God can have everything. He knows that if he has that, he has everything. He has all of his heart. Abraham is at the point where he'll do anything for God. God is his greatest treasure and nothing can compare with that. And he will obey no matter what the cost, no matter what the risk. And when a person is in a place like that, they can't be bought. They can't be compromised. They can be trusted with great blessing. And that blessing won't corrupt them, but rather be channeled through them. God is Abraham's great reward, and and so God is happy and can trust Abraham to then build God's plans to redeem the whole world through Abraham's family line. Man, I want to get there, don't you? Not, Not that God would choose my kids, Elijah, and them to rescue the whole world by them, but to be in the place where God is so precious, so much our great reward and treasure that God knows our heart that he can entrust us to being, bring great blessing to the world. I came aqua- uh, across this quote a few times over my life, and every time I hear it, it, it strikes a nerve. Uh, Dio Moody made this quote popular. He didn't originate it, but maybe you've heard this before. The world has yet to see what God can do with a man fully consecrated to him. By God's help, I aim to be that man. That strikes a nerve in my heart. Do you know why? Because I know that there's more of my heart I can give him that I've refused to give to him at times. And I just can imagine what, what, would, what would my family be like? What would this church be like if I gave more of myself to him? What, what could God do then through me for you if I were to give him more of me? And what could God do to me through you if you were to give all of yourself to him too? This stirs my heart. I, I don't know if I want to say that like I'm the only one who will do that, you know, that, that's kind of weird how he, he frames it, but I get his heart, and I want us to all have that same heart. What would it be like if God could have all of our hearts? What could he do? Would he not overthrow this entire city for the gospel? If he could have a whole church that is fully his. It reminds me of one of my most favorite passages, 2 Chronicles 16.9. Would you read this out loud? I'm using the NIV on this one. It's the last, there you go. Would you read this out loud with me? For the eyes of the Lord reigns throughout the earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. 
Oh, the spirit of the Lord is searching to and fro, church, throughout the whole earth, looking for a heart. Is there a heart out there that's just fully mine, that is not holding back any pet sins or compromises, saying, God, whatever you say, I'll do it, whatever you say. God, whatever you say. Oh, that we would all be like that, church. Can you imagine what that would be like for your family and for our church and for our cities and for our neighbors? If God would have a bunch of people who would say, God, whatever you want. I'm yours. God, there's no Isaac that I'll hold back from you. You can have all my Isaacs. I'll give you everything. But again, it begs the question, how could we get to such a point where we would abandon our lives so recklessly like that to God and trust him even though it could be so costly? Well, here, it's because God is a promise keeper. If God is not a promise keeper, then we can't give this life to him. If he's not a promise keeper, if he's not trustworthy, we can't trust him with everything. If God wasn't a promise keeper or if he was unfaithful, it would not only be reasonable, but wise for us to hold back. Do you hear that? If God was untrustworthy, then you ought to hold back your heart. You ought to withhold everything to him. But if he is indeed true and faithful and he's swearing by himself, then you can take him to the bank that everything he says will come to pass and you can give him everything. Follow the logic, church. If if God is true, then he ought to have all of us. If he's not, then let's hold back as much as we can because we can't trust him. Is he true, church? Is he faithful? Then you can give him everything, even if it's hard. If he's not, then let's hold back. And what are we doing here? Either he's trustworthy, we give our whole lives to the cause of the gospel and for his purposes, or we give nothing, all or nothing for him. And the great news is, church, is that you and I still hold back. You and I can be cynical. You and I can distrust. And the good news is, even though we are faithless, God remains, what? Faithful, for he cannot. What? Yeah. What a loving God. We see in Genesis 15, remember? He's the one who pays the debt for us. He's the one who says, I will stand in your place and I will take the punishment when you fail, when you hold back. I will die for you. I will suffer for you. That is our loving God. Not only is he trustworthy, but he is loving and he's merciful. So anything he asks of us, we can trust his heart and his motivations. He knows how costly his request can be. Remember what Pastor Daniel says. He knows he's asking for Abraham's beloved son, his only son, and yet he still asks because he's worthy and he's trustworthy and we can trust his heart. And yet the great exchange is this. He is the most valuable being in all the universe. And when we let go of all, we get him. I say we're getting a really good end of the deal. We get him, all of him, not with reservation. And that's a beautiful thing. He's not saying, give me all of your heart and I'll give you some of me. He says, give me all of your heart. I'm giving you, I've already given you all of me. (laughs) That's amazing. Elizabeth Eftelin during sermon prep wrote this imagery. She said, I like the image of us carrying around a bag of burning trash and not wanting it to trade trade it in. That's a good word. We all got this heaping pile of garbage we hold on to that it's precious. My precious, right? And God's like, give it to me. I got, some, I, I got me. I'm going to give you me. I'm like, no, but I, I want to I hold the stinky trash. 
God, help us to see it rightly. And the only way we can see it rightly is if we see him rightly. Because when you see him rightly, you see him as the promise keeper, the trustworthy one, the faithful one, the loving one, then, then you know what? It's not even a risk. It's not even a sacrifice. He's worthy of it all. And when we do that, when God can trust us that he has all of our heart, then the mission can flow through us. Then no longer are we using people for our own selfish gain. But now the blessing is flowing freely through us because we've already found our treasure. We have already found our security. We've already found our purpose. So we don't, we're not using people for that. We're not cannibalizing others. Now the blessing is flowing through us. And when that happens, church, the gates of hell will not prevail against the gospel because we know our God. We know he has us. He's given us his whole heart and we've given our hearts to him and he will win. So let's pray. Father, there's a lot here. And I pray most of all that you would give us a heavenly vision of who you are and how good you are and how worthy you are. In light of that revelation and encounter of who you are, the only reasonable response is to give you all in response. But we can't give you all if we don't see you as great. Our problem is that we don't see you as you are. So Holy Spirit, reveal God to us. Reveal the Father to us so that all those sacrifices and all the risks that you call us seem small and light and momentary compared to the surpassing weight of glory that is to come for us. Thank you, God, that you are trustworthy and true. Thank you, God, that we can take you at your word that you have sworn by yourself and that these promises will come to pass. You will ultimately rescue all peoples and all nations under your lordship, Jesus. And you will right every wrong. You will judge the wicked. You will bless and reward the righteous. And we will enter into everlasting, intimate, face-to-face relationship with you on this earth forever. You are going to redeem and reverse what happened in Genesis. And we're going to be with you forever. And Father, if there's someone in here who doesn't know you like that, would you reveal yourself to them now and show that you are worth it? You are worth everything. And for us Christians here who struggle with that, I struggle with that at times, I hold back. Help us lay it all at your feet. In Jesus' name, amen.